four hardy souls who stayed up until the wee hours of this morning to watch the two worst teams in baseball go at it. First of all, you have my sympathies. Second, maybe the manager's decision late in the game wasn't all that bad. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dayon Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates comes your way bright and early every weekday morning. If you're into football and or hockey, I also offer up Daily Shots of Steelers and Penguins right where you found this. And right where you found this podcast is exactly where you should throw it back. Because you don't want to hear any of this. The Pirates lost to the Diamondbacks 11-6. One of the most gruesome games they've played this season. And the beauty of that statement is, when I say they, I could mean either side. The Pirates are actually... Eight whole games in the overall standings ahead of Arizona. That's how horrific the Diamondbacks have been. And yet, the Pirates have now lost both of the games they've played so far in Phoenix with the series finale today at 3.40 p.m. Eastern. Don't watch it. Just don't. It, it doesn't. It doesn't help anyone. You, you try to watch these things. I do. Well, A, because it's my job. But B, because I'm looking for things that can maybe be meaningful toward the franchise's future. I'm looking for signs of, oh, hey, look how this guy responded to this situation or that situation. And maybe this individual can be part uh, of the team in two or three years that was a surprise in a given role in a game that maybe we hadn't seen coming and then, occasionally, you'll just get reminded of what it is that you're actually watching. You're watching a bad team try to surf through what's expected universally to be a bad season because the previous front office left behind virtually nothing, not only in Pittsburgh, but also in Indianapolis, where, by the way, there's still nothing. And so you know you have to go through that because the only way to add elite talent is to add it at the bottom uh, and have it work its way up, blah, blah, blah. You don't want to hear anything about that right now after the way this went. But the Pirates put together a, a 5-1 lead, and again, even that doesn't matter all that much. Gregory Polanco hit a two-run bomb He's not going to be a Pirate after this season. John Nagowski hit a two-run bomb. It'd be really cool if he was a Pirate after this season, but even if he is, you know, he's 28 years old. He's not going to be uh, something where you say, oh, here's there, this is part of the franchise's foundation. So even that didn't mean anything. And then Tyler Anderson's out there, and he's pitching kind of well, and you go... Yeah, that doesn't mean anything either unless it enhances his trade value and gets rid of all the skepticism about the sticky stuff it looks like he was using because his spin rate dropped dramatically and he was one of a handful of pitchers singled out by a New York Times investigation as being that. So he was going out there and he's pitching okay and you're thinking, all right, well, this is pretty cool too. Maybe I can at least pay attention to this. 
And then you can't even do that because after he pitched six pretty good innings and the Pirates had a 5-1 to lead, with his pitch count at 77, Derek Shelton took him out of the game and brought in Austin Bleeping Davis. And you're going, oh, geez, Austin Davis. This is one of the guys they're going to tell themselves is going to be the reason that you cut Kyle Crick. Austin Davis gets just annihilated. Walks, guys. It was just, just total trash. Clay Holmes comes in and relieves for him, and Clay Holmes relieves himself all over the mound, worse than Davis had. I don't even remember how many runs Arizona scored. I don't even remember if I'm relaying to you correctly the scores as they happened. I think it actually might have been 5-3 to three or something. I have no idea. It ended up what it ended up, 11-6. to six. And afterwards, Shelton was asked about his decision to lift Anderson when he did. Uh, well, the pitch number didn't have anything to do with it. It was the fact that inning he started to get away from his delivery. Uh, he missed a high in arm side with his fastball, and uh, his arm just wasn't catching up. And that's a sign of, uh, you know, fatigue right there. And then we had the, you know, we had Davis with, you know, three of the next four guys being left-handed with, uh, the, you know, the matchup that we liked. But for that, for that, it was more the fact of uh, where T.A. was at at that point. That's fair. I'll take the man at his word for it. He and Oscar Marine are, are both watching Anderson. They see him flying open. They see something going wrong with his delivery, and they cut him off where he was. Whatever. I'm going to tell you about a managing decision in this game that I loved. Go ahead and rip the guy for whatever for Anderson. You can do that to your heart's content. Here's a manager decision in this game that I loved. Clay Holmes was out there just dying on the hill. He had nothing. Everything he served up was just getting slaughtered somewhere. And I'm thinking to myself, you're on a long road trip. You're already thin on the bullpen. After this series... In Phoenix, you're going to San Francisco to play the best team in the National League. And they're going to tax your pen that much further. If I'm the manager, I am letting Holmes pitch until Friday if I have to. There is nothing that ticks off a manager more than a reliever who can't just tough it out and get the extra one-third or two-thirds of an inning that's needed to bail out a bullpen. It doesn't matter to fans. I know that. I hear that all the time. But it really matters inside a clubhouse, especially in the manager's office. Because it dictates not just how they're handling things in that game that's right in front of you, but also the next game and maybe even the game after that. And Shelton just left him out there. I'm not going to suggest anything malicious here. I'm not going to suggest that you know he doesn't care if Holmes gets hurt or whatever else or that they would have let him throw 90 pitches or something ridiculous. But he never budged from that dugout. He is like, you are so ending this inning. And eventually, Holmes did. I like that. I like that. I was not sure Shelton had that in him. 
And I've now seen a couple examples over the past few days that have kind of impressed me in the longer term sense as to what kind of a manager he can be. But this is, I, I, look, I'm, I'm looking for, I'm looking for the, the ultimate silver lining in just the ugliest cloud. Terrible baseball game, terrible baseball game. The only thing that could possibly make any of this worse is if I flew out myself to San Francisco to cover, wait, I'm doing what? Oh, no. No. I'm flying. No. We'll be back with just one question. Just one question. That's always brought to you on this program by the North Shore Tavern, directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. Home to Steak on a Stone. Home to the planet's only fully dedicated Pittsburgh Baseball Club sports bar. Pirates memorabilia, wall to wall. Doesn't change either. Doesn't turn into a Steelers bar or a Penguins bar at any other time of year. This is just buckos, wall to wall. Visit North Shore Tavern, especially when the team's on the road. Watch the games with friends. Today's question comes from Scott Nelson, who asks, are the Pirates going to start another new trend in the draft? Top-tier talent under slot to gather more top-tier talent, or was this a fluke since there wasn't a dominant number one? Try to give you some background on what Scott is asking here. Scott obviously knows his stuff. The Pirates kind of blew up the old draft model by grossly spending over slot in lower rounds. They broke what at the time was an unwritten rule. And when they did it with Josh Bell in giving him a $5 million bonus as a second rounder, when in particular the Boston Red Sox really, really wanted JB and let him go in the first round because they knew what his bonus was, and didn't feel he was worth a first-round pick, the Red Sox and the Yankees and a few other usual suspects, if you can believe this, went crying that the Pirates had gamed the system. Imagine a system that's completely built to bury markets like Pittsburgh. They were complaining about that. Not surprisingly, the reaction from Major League Baseball was instant and they changed the system. So now the Pirates are doing something else. The Pirates are taking their bonus money, some of it that they could have given to Henry Davis, the number one overall pick, the Louisville catcher, and they've spread it around. This is not a new or a pioneering concept. This is not a break-the-system kind of concept. Uh, other teams have done this, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's no unwritten rule component to it, nor written rule. So anyone who would have an issue with it would really be barking up a hollow tree, I guess. Is that a way I could put that? Or do I need some more caffeine here this morning? <laughs> wow. Barking up a hollow tree. But they wouldn't have an argument is what I'm saying, okay? They just wouldn't. So I think, Scott, to your final point, 
that's the strongest one where you say, was this a fluke since there wasn't a dominant number one? Let's put it this way. Let's say that Jack Leiter had been what people who don't closely follow baseball or the draft either thought or hoped. Let's say Jack Leiter was actually this uh, six foot three, sturdy frame guy uh, who showed no risk of injury and you know didn't have a dip in performance in his year at Vanderbilt and everything else here. Let's say that Jack Leiter was Steven Strasburg. Let's go that far. Okay, meaning Strasburg at that age. If you have that player at number one overall and you're the Pirates and you decide that you'd like to spread around the bonus a little bit, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong because then you're letting go of a potentially generational talent. And that can't happen. And that's when a real, honest blowback would have been deserved but in this class where you couldn't get anyone to agree not only on who was number one but who was even like the top five or who belonged in or out of the top five so yes this was a case of all of the cards aligning in a certain way and the pirates playing those cards to their best advantage I'd be stunned if you see this replicated even by the Pirates next year because everything has to work out like this. You have to have a number one that's not a clear number one so that you can kind of negotiate with them, even if Henry Davis, as Ben Charrington has said, was the actual number one on their baseball draft board. You still have that wiggle room there. You'd also have to have the number one overall spot because you have a bigger overall pool of money from which to operate. The Pirates are allotted $14.4 million because of their spot at number one more than any other team. So there's a lot of it just happened to work out that way kind of thinking that goes here. So no, I don't think you're going to see teams take any kind of dramatically different approach moving forward. And I have a feeling that if and when baseball produces its next great prospect, that you're going to see this thing just get tossed right out the window because there's no way that great prospect won't get the full amount. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. We'll have another one tomorrow. (laughs) 